Intelligent Human Voice Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mr. Anderson, from the Bay to LA and beyond. So, so yeah, that was um. That was a song I I wrote um, nearly, or co-wrote, I should say, um, over 20 years ago. Yeah, about 20 years ago. Uh, well, what happened? So let me share the story. And before I share the story, this is the Intelligent Human Voice Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mr. Anderson, from the Bay to L.A. and beyond. Um I've been going in on on my music collection. It's it's it's. I mean, it's it's bigger than than I thought it was. I mean, it's. I mean, I'm, when you're creating, um, you're not taking account. You just create, you know. So as as your universe delivers, and you get inspired by you know a song here and there, and you know I, I can't speak for other artists, but I know. You know, when I've created music, um, and especially when I'm, I feel like I'm I'm done with it or I'll come back to it, maybe I'll come back to it later and add something to it. For the most part, um, yeah, when I'm, when I'm done with it, I, I don't really listen to it again later until later. And now it's like maybe a month, maybe a month down the line, I'll listen to it and I'll put, you know, I used to put it in the car so I can hear it, you know, how I how it plays in a, a car because you, you never know you can be in the studio all day creating and unless you have engineering ears you know even if you have engineering ears you have to listen to your music on different components so I would create I would create in my studio and um, 
then I would, uh, you know, uh, the big deal was compressing it down to MP3 format. So I then can play it in my car, to which I purchased a, um, in the Cadillac, I had a Cadillac SE in 2000, I think I got that in 2006, it's been 2006, 2007. Um, and it had a, <laughs> it didn't have a CD player that had a uh, cassette uh, deck. So I, I went to Fry's and changed it out. And um, yeah, this was like 2006, 2007. So I just started working at the temple. And um, we were going to Fry's and saying, yo, I need, I need whatever the latest and greatest so I can play, you know, my MP3s and and everything else. Um, he's like, oh, no problem. So that's how I was able to, you know, listen to the music because uh, the Cadillacs have great sound. I forget what sound system you have. But also the, um, the Hyundai and the Jeep also have really awesome systems. But at the time, you know, that's the only way I can compare it. And then... Because I was working at the temple, you know, and had to test the sound out and work with the sound engineers. I was working with industry cats who were um, the the go to and be behind the scene engineers and producers of all the major concerts <laughs> that were going on smack dab in Hollywood. And I also worked with. Um, uh, one of the main engineers who was responsible for designing the sound over at uh, the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, he's also, this guy's a fabulous engineer. He's, uh, I got some pointers from him, you know, when we were installing the, um, the soft, all the software and the hardware and exchanging it at the temple. Um, he gave me some awesome pointers and, uh, so that's how my engineering um, background came came into play. So this morning I'm 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 dabbling into me, my music and I'm listening. I've been listening to songs that I haven't heard in 20 years, um, and it's 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 amazing. It's what what's what's interesting about it? Uh, one, it's 20 years ago, so. <laughs> You know, things change. People change. Uh, your music style changes. Uh, for me, um, I never had a genre of music. I mean, how can you how can you have a genre when you are inspired by all kinds kinds of music? And what I was, you know, told early on, oh, you gotta pick a genre. I remember paying seven hundred dollars. I paid seven hundred dollars because I was so convinced that this 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 woman who uh I, I got sucked in by one of the uh Facebook ads and she's like oh I'm a mother you know with three kids and if I can do this you can do it and I was like what and I heard her music her music was okay but she kept talking about this niche you got to find your niche you got to find your niche and I'm I'm like there is no niche I mean people People are so unique and artists are so unique. So it's like, how can you find a niche unless you want to just say, hey, I'm a rapper and I only rap, 
dirty rap. You know, even those rappers got to, you know, figure out what genre they're in. And even nowadays, the rappers are singing and rapping. So how does that work? So for me, it was a challenge uh, to to even find a platform that would um, allow for, you know, my music uh, to be played as an independent artist. And what's interesting, it's not that I was, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm more business savvy. So, you know, I had that business sense in, in my artistry. And I think that's what may have been some, some issues with the boys club, the boys club, the girls club, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I'm talking specifically about the music industry itself. Um, you know, I had gotten a handle on what the music industry was all about. Um, I want to say back in 90, 93, 92, um, we were, uh, that's when I was not maybe yeah about ninety maybe ninety one early ninety one. So in ninety one, like early uh, early nineties and ninety one, I was with a group. We formed a group. It was a quartet, and um, we were in between. <laughs> like uh, if you want to compare us, we we were in between Jodeci and Boys and Men. That's how I'm going to say it. Um, it was two lead singers, myself and a boy, Kijure. And it was uh, Kev and Pierre. Um, and we called ourselves G-Men, uh, stiff for gifted men. Um, and we performed here, there, and everywhere. Um, we performed with Pete Escovito one time. He was, he was doing this uh, school assembly uh, in Alameda. Um, and, um, did a few performances opening up for a few, uh, local, uh, rappers who are super big now. Um, I don't want to do any name dropping, but it, it was, it was fun and it was fun until it wasn't. <laughs> and that's what I always say. That's why I say these days, everything's fun until it's not, you know, let me dismiss this alarm right quick. Okay. Um, and what I mean by that is that um, when it gets into the business side of things, because, see, I learned I learned early on, you know, it's not about the how much talent you have and how gifted you are and, you know, all the things you can do. If you don't protect yourself as an artist from the beginning, meaning you need a lawyer, <laughs> you got to get a lawyer, you got to get somebody that, you know, knows law um, because everybody's talented. I mean, everybody's gifted. Um, it depends on you know, what kind of uh, team you can get behind you. When, when I say team, you know, publishing company, uh, uh, executives, uh, uh, managers, A&R, uh, accountants, everything you need to do in business, it, it has to be, you have to have that, infra that infrastructure in music as well. Music is no different. And I think that's where I know that's where a lot of artists um, miss the boat. 
because they're, oh, I'm talented. I'm saying I can rap. I can sing. I can, I can produce. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. I'm sure you can. I'm sure you, you your beats are dope too. Uh, but if, if you don't have a legal team behind you, you, you're just, you're just making beats. That's all you're doing. And what's interesting, uh, what comes, why this conversation comes up about the legal part is because, um, I don't know, I, that there's a new, there's a bill that, that got passed that, or that's, yeah, got passed for California, the AB5. And I, I remember, uh, hearing about it, but, you know, I, look, I get in it, I get in where I can fit in and, that's pretty much it. I don't get too crazy with, you know, people, I would say, um, because I know the, the legal side of the music business and I, that, that didn't just come from having a lawyer early on. This is me working in law. I worked at a, um, law firm, uh, uh in Point Richmond. I think it was like 19, 17. I was, I was young. And, uh, I learned a lot from this guy. And I also learned a lot from another attorney, uh, when I was in high school, uh, the last, the latter part of our government class we had, um, we turned it into street law or they turned it into street law. The school did, and it was a pilot program. But I learned so much from that program, and I'm not sure why I was so, you know, intrigued by by the law. I think it. I think till this day that it's, it was because of that class. Uh, there was this uh, there was this white dude. He came from Cal Berkeley, um, and he was, um, yeah, he his his degree was in street law, so. Like I said, the latter, the last semester is when he came in. He just taught the basics, basically, you know, gave us like the blueprint of how to navigate ourselves in the world. And it was a scary class. It was, I mean, forget all the stuff that we had learned, you know, from kindergarten to uh, the 12th grade. Now you have this lawyer saying, hey, you know what? I know life is life is going to be tough. But, you know, the, the best way you can protect yourself is, you know, know the law, at least know the basics of the law. You know, most of you guys are African-American in the room. So I'm, I'm, I'm speaking specifically, you know, <laughs> I'm, you know, he was trying to talk in a way like he didn't he didn't want to say you guys gonna have more problems. But he gave us a blueprint. He's like, look, you know, police do this, do this. Police say that, say that. You know, when you're driving in your car, don't draw, don't draw attention to yourself. You know, turn your music down a lot. You know, they, they don't give them a reason. That's why I remember the most part. Don't give them a reason to to mess with you. So that stuck with me. Later down the line, uh, I interacted with um, I ended up meeting this this one cat who went to Cal. Uh, he was studying to be a, a sound engineer. And we were introduced to him by um, a friend of a friend, my boy Bobby, Bobby Fully Love, rest in peace. Um, Fully Love loved the, he loved music, period. So he's a music lover. This guy, this guy was always walking around with his music on. And he knew all the artists and all the hip hop 
and all that. So, and he knew a lot of people too. So, um, yeah, so he heard, he heard our music. He would come to, you know, at, when we were a quartet, he would support. He's like, man, you guys are, you guys can pull this off. You can do this. So he connected us. The group, we end up breaking up. The group end up breaking up for all kind of reasons. We signed a contract uh, for this manager. This guy heard us singing in the parking lot, some parking lot. We were walking by in downtown Oakland. Security guard comes out, calls this guy. He meets up with us later. Turns out he knows a whole bunch of people in the industry and he's talking big talk. And I'm the guy that that's sitting there with the with the eyebrow raise, you know, the Dr. Spock eyebrow like whatever, man, whatever. I hear you talking. But and that's only because I was, you know, I was school. So I was skeptical of anybody that wanted to come along and, you know, um, what's what's the what's the what's the. uh Fluff, <laughs> give you a lot of fluff. Oh, you guys are dynamic. It's like, yeah, that's how it starts. And um, meaning that's how it starts with people fluffing you up. And if you get to, if you fall into that, you get totally sidetracked from the business side of things. So I was always looking at it from a business side. Like, yeah, what's in it for you though? You know what I mean? I'm okay with giving... Um manager, accountant, the whole nine. All of them got to get a piece of the pie. And by the time you're done with that pie, unless you're Michael Jackson or Prince, and Prince had to fight for it, Mike had to fight for his too. Unless you, you know, own so many assets and own the masters and all that to your music, man, you're going you're gonna to be dealing with some nonsense. Um, So that was my conditioning. And that's been my condition. That's why... You know, when I moved to L.A., I was I was amped up. I was prepared. I was just looking to get my foot in the door and work with other artists on the producing um, level, uh, collaborations, whatever. You know, that's there was a lot of collaborations that I'd done here in the Bay Area. So I was like, all right, let me take this L.A. And, you know, everybody's talking big about L.A. So let me get to L.A. I get to L.A. and. Sure enough, yeah, I met all I met all kind of people. They folks actually thought I was thought I was in the industry. And I'm like, no, nah, I just I just came from Oakland, man. I was trying to work with, you know, whoever wants to work. You know, here's my work and that's just a that's just a snippet. Don't judge it. <laughs> you know, that's just a a demo, what they call a demo, a demonstration of what what's possible and what I can do. Um it wasn't received well at all. I mean, the, the folks that I thought would at least like, yo, I'm, yo, we got to work together. We, we definitely got to do something. Wasn't even remotely the love that was received in the Bay. And even even with the Bay, I worked with a lot of folks. But then there was a lot of folks that just, you know, they didn't want to work with me because they, I guess they had their own producers or they felt like they had their own way of doing things. And I'm fine with that. I was like, but what about coming together and doing something? Right. It's always like, I'm always in the mindset of coming together and doing something. You can always do stuff independently. You can always do, you know, independent artist stuff, but 
What about the coming together and doing stuff? Some of the some of the dopest bands and groups in in time have you know have always come from a group first. You know, uh, Wu Tang Clan, Clan, Wu Tang Clan. Are you kidding me? These guys are all superstars in their own rights, but they came together as a group first. Then they were able to do their separate projects. That was my thinking within the Bay Area. Yo, let's come together as a group first. We break off, do our things, and come back. Um, you know, some people don't get the vision. You know, they they see the something else, and I don't know. I don't have time for that. But that's why I became, you know, the the foresight I had. So much foresight I had about my my art that I, I just looked at it enti- I looked at it way differently. And even now, like with all, I own the masters to everything. I own the masters to all of my music. Most of the artists that you, that are, that are mainstream, um, that you hear on the radio that won Grammys, that won all kind of stuff. They don't own a whole lot of nothing. They own a percentage, <laughs> you know, but like 100% ownership in their music and their lyrics, they do not own it. They have signed it off <laughs> for to, you know, in exchange for fame. So it's like, which do you want? Do you want? And you can have both. You can do both. It's going to be a little harder. It's going to be, you know. But you have to decide what do you want? Do you want the fame or do you want the uh, you want to own your stuff? Now, what's changing now is this AB5 law, which is crazy. And it's got attorneys and the music industry like flipping out. Um, Excuse me, because they're acting before they're acting prematurely. That's what it is. I, I don't there's always some under underlining draconian uh whatever you want to call it there's always some demise under some law that's being passed so unless you're attorney and you've gone through this stuff you won't even know and most of the artists don't know because they're too busy creating it's incredibly challenging to to be a creator and then you have to uh you have to turn off your creative juice and go into the business mind. That's the problem that a third, if not half of the artists, if they get depressed, um, anxiety, the whole nine, those are the issues that they're dealing with. Because you, you, you can't, it's hard. It's a, it's a challenge. And you never hear me say things are hard, but it's really challenging to split yourself up like that. However, it's very possible. I know a lot of artists who do it. They don't, I don't know a lot of artists who do it, you know, really, really good, but I know a few and that, and the few is, is all you need. And what I mean is being the person that is not only the artist, but you're the engineer, you're the producer, you're the accountant, <laughs> you're the background vocalist, you're the, um, you're the legal. you're you're the legal insight you know to you the person that has to be able to articulate yourself 
enough to talk to your attorney to share with them what you're doing um, or your actions or what you plan on doing. Uh, you talk to them first. Hey, this is what I'm doing. Blah, 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 blah. How's it sound to you? Yep. All right. Well, let's put it all in writing. Done. Easy. But this AB5 thing, you know, it's affecting it, it's the Uber drivers and the Uber and Lyfts, you know, they're like, look, we comply. We're, we ain't afraid of nothing. We we want they want the benefits of being an employee, but they still want to be, you know, the the independent thing. I don't know. But when it comes to taxes and, you know, money, you know, people get greedy. They they see they see how much money is being made. They see the economy is not working where people are not going to work or can't go to work and whatnot. So they have to do something else. So they have to create a law that's kind of, hey, what's going on here? I got all these people doing things in this gig economy, you know, but gig economy for most artists have always been. We've always worked as independent contractors. That means that you have to, you know, do the 1099 and 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 pay your own taxes and whatnot. Um, that's in part why I chose to work, you know, a nine to five or whatever my hours. I hardly ever worked a nine to five. It was at my own hours. So every every job I've ever been in, most of them, you know, I called my own hours. I left when I wanted to leave. But it, I had to work up to that point, you know. Um, but to keep your sanity, it's as an artist, you know. I would look. I would love to just and and now and I'm speaking now. It's very possible because no no one can go anywhere. All the artists are at home and they're trying to figure this out. Collaboration. I'm a, I'm gonna read something from uh, this guy Matthew Warren. I think he's an attorney over at Clinton and Clinton. According to AB5, independent artists who hire a producer or engineer have to abide by minimum wage laws, pay into unemployment, provide benefits, and more, requiring an independent artist working from their home with multiple independent collaborators to abide by minimum wage laws, uh, pay unemployment taxes, or provide medical benefits makes absolutely no sense. For that reason, Coupled with the fact that there is no exception for the trucking industry, I believe the bill will be challenged in court and ultimately ruled unconstitutional because it conflicts with the federal law by excessively burdening interstate commerce. See what I'm talking about? It's lawyers. You got to have a lawyer, yo. Um, there's something else. This guy, uh, Jeff, Jeff Bradsetter said. Let me read what Jeff Jeff said, and and yeah, let me read what Jeff says. Jeff says, okay. Jeff is uh, over at Brad Setter Law. He said, uh, I thought for sure that California Governor Gavin Newsom wouldn't sign the bill in its present form, or that the California legislature later uh, would modify it substantially. Unfortunately, neither of those things happened. The number of exemptions in the bill is a sign that they didn't get the language of the underlying law correct. This may have to be decided through the courts or through an amendment to the legislation as an independent contractor bearing a work for hire contract or similar language in a service agreement. The work you create is yours and not owned by whoever hired you. On the other hand, 
work done as an employee in the course and scope of your employment is owned by the employer. That should concern artists, songwriters, and composers since it jeopardizes their creations. You see what I'm saying here? This is, let me keep going and then I'll comment. Uh, AB5 has such, there it goes. AB5 has such draconian implications. If you don't know what draconian is, look it up. You could well see an exodus to entertainment hubs outside of California, like New York or Atlanta, unless there are significant changes or limitations imposed on its implementation. Just as the film and TV industries suffered runway production with various tax incentives, wooing away production to other states and countries, companies may take their business out of state unless significant changes are made. You're almost saying that if you're an artist and you are going to be collaborating, <coughs> collaborating is my uh, Peter Brady. <laughs> um, unless you're going to be collaborating, um, you're going to have to. I don't know. This is this is so crazy. It's ridiculous. Uh, I'm going to read one more. Then I'm going to read something else uh, uh, that I found in my in my hubbub. And I'm going to speak on a little something. Then I'm going to get out of here because I got stuff to do. Uh, John J. Tormey III, Esquire, uh, is uh, at the law office of John J. Tormey III, Esquire. <laughs> I think that the smaller independent music producers, bands of lesser renown and stature and economically leaner labels will likely suffer the greatest detrimental effect from AB5. Why? Because producers, bands, and labels that already have stature, significant assets, and infrastructure in place, one, are more likely to use legal counsel to paper their way around AB5, and therefore, two, will more likely be successful circumnavigating AB5. Indeed, by analogy to the transportation sector, the well-heeled Ubers and Lyfts of the global gig economy have already indicated they feel that they comply with AB5 and not afraid of it. Even in the current pre-AB5 climate in the entertainment industries, larger, richer entities more likely already know how to properly use a loan-out entity structure to address related tax, independent contractor, and IP issues and are therefore more likely to resolve them successfully. Many other people are going to need outside help solving the AB5 problem, though, since those others never really handle independent contractors correctly to begin with, a number of rock tours that hire roadies provide just one collective of that. Insane. Um, my, my heart goes out to, um, any of the young creators, my advice is get a lawyer, go through legal shield. It's like 35 bucks for business, 25 bucks a month for, um, for personal, um, it's, it's, it's so worth it. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. That's all I have to say. So, uh, 
last night in, in my scroll, my my Instagram scroll, I do like a scroll a day and then I gotta shut it down. It's just it's just too much. Too much. It's way too much. So um I came across yeah, I came across something in my old email files uh going back to two thousand nine. 2009, when I saw this, I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So 2009 is really, really significant to me. It was a, it was a turning point in, um, it was, it was, it's interesting to see 2008, 2009. So 2008 was when I purchased the Korg M3 sequencer. The Korg M3 sequencer is um a powerful workstation and it's what i've used for the majority of the music that i've been playing or is on uh, number one music uh, dot com that's number one music dot com forward slash uh the music of mr i'm sorry the patman i'm confusing stuff i gotta change these urls so no one gets confused it's because you have to have, as an independent artist, you got to have your music here, there, and everywhere. And it's work. Doing it by yourself, it's work. So, two thousand. So between 2008 and 2009 was when I purchased the uh, Corgan 3, but I already had the digital uh, Roland's uh, BR-1180. The problem with the BR-1180 is that it was already, at the time, I purchased that in 2000. So by 2008, 2009, that piece of equipment is already 10 years old. However, it's still an awesome piece of equipment. It's a 100-track virtual studio that I could take in a briefcase and just go here and there and everywhere. Now, I got that in the year 2000. Meaning anything that anyone could do, produce, engineer, master, the whole nine. I purchased this thing that was in a literally about this, a little bit bigger than a laptop, but a little heavier, a lot heavier though. But you put it in the case, done, plug it up, the right, right uh, uh, RCA cables or whatever, XLR. And you're good. You rock and roll. You can go to any studio and just knock it out. I used that. Once I got the Korg, um, that was my... I had been doing production work before that, but this would be the first time that I'm actually composing, writing, mastering, singing, singing the background vocals. This is me doing everything. So... That's what I'm saying. When when I having a nine to five, you know, as an artist, it's very possible. I've always had a nine to five. Don't have a problem with that because you're only working nine to five. Are you really working eight hours? <laughs> Nobody's working eight hours unless you're working in a capacity of uh, um, like warehouse work or you putting together cars, assembly line or something like that. But in my, in my line of work, I 
I get there at six, I'm leaving at six. So I'm just the overseer of things, but other people not working eight hours. I worked in the state. There were not people working eight hours. Anyway, in doing that, my point in saying that is that, okay, you have eight hours to to make your money or earn your money, whatever you do. And then you have the rest of the day. <laughs> you have from five to six o'clock the next day. Or, or if you have to be at work at you know seven or eight, then you have even more hours. You have from the moment you get home, let's say you do, uh, it took me, I would time it too. It took me maybe a half an hour um, on a good day, half an hour to 45 minutes to get from the middle of Hollywood, literally middle of Hollywood uh, to mid-city. Culver City area. So I would get home, fire up the studio, and from you know 6.30 to maybe 10, 11 o'clock, I'm creating. I'm just creating, and I'm mastering, and I'm practicing, um, and I'm being inspired. In 2009, rolls up. By the time 2009 rolls up, I gotten, I gotten really good at the engineering side of thing. I was learning the core and I started saying, you know, the universe is that that's why I, as, as I was growing and becoming, that's when I started to speak more of the universe and God and, and, and guides and, and muses and, and entities and all this you know, a spiritual stuff because I had no other way to explain that when I powered up that studio, I would do like a meditation, a quick meditation, a prayer, and like, God, give me the strength to, to you know, whatever you want to give me, whatever you want to receive right now. Let work through these fingers so I can, you know, create whatever, whatever the universe wants to create. And the next day, I would, you know, after work. I wouldn't even listen to the song. Sometimes if I finished it, I would download it so I can put it in the car and listen to it. You know, it'd be my, like my soundtrack going into work. But a lot of times I'd be like, ah, I'll listen to it with fresh ears when I come home. I come home after work. I was so eager to get home. It's like, yep, that's why I go into work. I was like, no time to play, whatever. What's the plan? Blah, 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 blah. Just putting out fires all day, literally. All right, I'm out of here. Five o'clock, I'm out. Why? Because I have to get home and create. I have to continue creating. That was my therapy for life. Creating music was my therapy for life. I got to the point where, you know, I was like, anything's possible. I've met at that time, I met a lot of celebrities. I met a lot of behind the scene cats. I was working in the industry where, you know, if I want to, actually push something on someone and say, hey, y'all, here's my music, man. Let's do some work. They would have. I'm sure they, they would have been okay with it, but I wasn't I wasn't trying to cross contaminate my working, you know, people that I knew in the industry. I wasn't trying to bomb bombard them about that. Now there were two people, two main people um throughout the whole eight years I was at the temple that knew about my music background. And that was Hassan and Michael Scloff. 
uh, Michael Scloff was the, um, him and his wife were the producer and musicians of Friends. And Michael's bad. This guy on the piano is ridiculous. His, he, I mean, he's just, a, he's just an awesome musician. Um, he's got a great ear and, um, I loved working with him the, the whole time I was at the temple. Uh, Donnie Masing, uh, he's the Hassan. The Hassan is the, uh, what you would call the, uh, music director of, uh, the Jewish temple. And, um, Donnie was very talented. He was a, he had a soul or he has a soul. I should say these, these guys are still alive, by the way. Um, he has a soul that, you know, resonates, you know, in, into music. His guitar playing is off the hook. I just had a really good time, but I would come home and I would take it all in, you know, um, my day and I would just start creating. Um, and and I, I, I'm saying this because, you know, I, I felt like, you know what, I've met a lot of people and I, I know a lot of people and I know a lot of people. So anything's possible. That's always been my thing. Anything's possible. Um, if I can meet Michael Jackson, the Prince, those are the, those are the two guys. It's like, if I meet somebody in this camp and their camps, it's over. Cause there was a lot of music I was creating that had that old school Michael Jackson appeal to it. And that was because I previously or years previously, I had been listening to his greatest hits album or the Jackson five's greatest hits album. And we would play this music, like going over to the city. And I was like, yeah, man, what was it about? You know, the, the sixties and seventies about, you know, Michael Jackson, whatever. So I started listening to interviews, with Michael Jackson and, and just got back into, you know, that, that sound that him and Quincy Jones just, you know, and Robert Tim, uh, was it Robert Temperton? I believe that was his name. They were like some of the main producers that was behind all of Michael Jackson's stuff coming up, you know, once he split off from his brothers. And so, um, so the day, yeah, the day I got the news, I was at work uh, that Michael Jackson had died and it was, um, it was dark for me. I, I actually left work. I was like, I, I got, I'm going home. <laughs> I was like, I got to go. I'm getting out of here before someone say something that might piss me off, you know, because people were into that. You know, they, they they just blurt stuff out and it's like, man, whatever. I'm not trying to hear people stuff. So um, when the funeral, Michael Jackson's funeral, I actually took the day off. I took the whole day off um, and I watched it. I watched it on TV. It was it was probably the saddest thing I'd ever seen because, you know, I grew up listening to Michael Jackson. I also grew up with people telling me I looked like Michael Jackson as a kid. It was it was not cool. <laughs> it was and I didn't get it. I did not get it. One, I didn't know who this guy was and I didn't know why everybody was always saying this, you know, oh, look like Michael, look like Michael. And I'm like, what? So as I got older and I would, I looked at my pictures, you know, as I was a kid, I was like, oh shit. Um, okay. I get it. I see it. I, I totally see it. Um, but I had to be my own self person, you know, I mean, Michael Jackson's Michael Jackson. 
anyway, he inspired him between him and Prince, and and some folks have point that out to me said in some of your music man you sound just like prince it's like well that's possible <laughs> i mean because i mean who you anyone that's walking around on this planet that's a musician or otherwise to say they've never been inspired by the music of michael jackson or prince are liars they are ginormous liars and if they if they haven't been inspired by music by either one of these uh pop awesome uh, soulful musical icons, um, and you've never heard of them, and you probably never will because that means they music suck and they have no soul. <laughs> That's not true, but it's true. I mean, it's how could you, how could you not be inspired by Michael Jackson and Prince? You know, stay out of their personal life. You know, just stay out of their personal life, and you know, it's about the music, and that's what really. Um, upset me about you know the life of Michael Jackson because it, it, it is a celebration and if if you look at his the guy was in front of stadiums as a kid like he was a ahead of the game as a kid and he was leading his brothers you know the discipline that he had was ridiculous so if you looked at that and you looked at you know his, his parents and I don't care what nobody say about Joe Jackson and, you know, how he disciplined his kids. Look, you, you had to do what you needed to do. This guy had five, six, seven, eight kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> you you got to do something. You got to find some kind of discipline for these cats. So music was the way it was either that or can you imagine, you know, Tito robbing somebody or everybody out in the streets doing all kind of stuff. No, man, you got to. So that's what I'm saying. People always got something critical to say, but how are you going to judge another man's household, how he runs his household? I think he did a great job. Come on, he created the king of pop. And all the nonsense people have had to say about his life, it's like, man, you don't know this guy. You didn't. You don't know his work. Did you know, and I want to read it, that I knew it. Michael Jackson made the Genius Book of World Records for the amount of donations that he had done over a lifetime. And I remember seeing that list. It's, it's in the email somewhere. I, I got it. I got to find it out, find it again. Um, and I had actually, he was doing a, a comeback album and I actually had gotten through on Sony and, and bought it ahead of time. Cause I was like, yo, this is going to be the one. When he passed a check, I got an email. The very next day saying, due, due to circumstances under not in our control, we're not going to be able to release this album and blah, blah, blah. Sorry. Here's your money back. I'm like, are you got to be kidding me? Never saw the light of day of that. I was so pissed off. It wasn't even funny. Um, let me read this real quick. Michael, I recall you sitting on a chair in your bedroom and staring at the television, watching the 1980 Grammys Award show, crying to me because you had won only one Grammy Award. And you said, watch LaToya, my next record. Maybe I should say it in Michael's voice. Watch LaToya, my next record. I'm going to sell more records and win more Grammys than anyone in the history of music. I'll be the biggest and the greatest entertainer of all time. You hear Michael Jackson saying that? That's, that's what I'm talking about, yo. 
She said, you began to write that dream all throughout your bedroom, on the walls, on the mirrors, in your books, and anywhere else you could find space. You started working much harder, creating sounds and songs that the world had never heard before. You started dancing until you would literally collapse. When most artists were trying to learn how to sing and do a two-step, you were singing and moonwalking. You took your dream to a much higher level and turned it into a reality, a reality of over 100 million records sold on the next album, Thriller. And he was so, I want to go back to that. You thereafter continued to turn everyone, every one of your dreams into reality while inspiring the world and becoming the most recognizable, the most well-known and the most loved person in the entire world. You've lived your dream. You've proven to us that if you believe you will achieve, you believed and oh my, and oh my, did you achieve. What you've accomplished is astounding. No one can ever possibly follow. Your dreams were so incredible that it made the world a much happier place to live. And the world wouldn't let you rest because they demanded your dreams to transport them to another place. You've done your work here, Michael. You've entertained us for decades, and there's nothing else that you can prove or accomplish here on Earth. You taught us how to laugh, how to love, how to believe. God has now called for you to come home, collect your wings, and fulfill your demands in heaven and continue your magic amongst angels. Mike, I love you deeply, and I can't wait to see you perform again. Keep the magic going. LaToya. And there's pictures of Mike when he was young. And I'm looking at this picture that looks just, that looks like me. That's, I can't even deny that. Um, it's so strange. But, um, I mean, there he is with uh, Bill Clinton and Ronald Reagan. Um, there's the, all the brothers right there. Um, you see what icons mean that's why it's like when you hear people talking about other people it's like I, I just don't go for that man I just I've never gone for that I was like you don't know what's you don't know that person's life you don't know what they've gone through to get to that point and as artists man we we take on so much and to have to switch that from like people expecting you to be the same energetic person that you are on stage as you are in person or as you are in in a in an interview. Come on, man. Nobody's like that. You you can't expect people to be, you know, high energy. That's a lot of energy to put out when you're on stage. When you're making a song, when you and then you, you have to worry about remembering the song. I mean, so many dynamics. You have to you have to remember the lyrics. You have to remember the dance steps. You have to hope that nothing technical messes up with the sound. That's like the main deal. You so your your sound engineer is the main dude. He's the one that's controlling. Second in line is the lighting guy. If the lighting guy is not on cue, if none of these guys are on cue, the concert sucks, and you as an artist can be um, you know be, be embarrassed for life and never sell another record. So you gotta look at it as you know, when you get to a, a point, you never know what, how an artist is going to 
Um, I don't know what my music would do. I, I, ho- I hoped I wanted to fall into the category of everything that Latoya was saying about Michael, you know, working hard towards your craft, you know, uh, you know, stand on it and, you know, no matter what. And for me, it wasn't about, I wanted to work with other people, but when I saw that, how people were reacting and responding to me, I said, you know what, forget it. I'll, I'll do it my own. I could do it myself. But I was just trying to, I was trying to be the together man, you know, no one can do anything alone or so that's what they they would tell you, you know, oh, you can't do everything by yourself. You can't do this. You can't, I can't do, I can't. Somebody saying I can't to me is like, I don't even know what that means. I, I don't even understand the language. I don't understand I can't. I really don't. I understand it's challenging or it might be a little hard, but everything is doable. Everything is possible. Everything is achievable. And in 2020, look, Mike proved it. Prince proved it. That's why when these guys, Van Halen, rest in peace, Van Halen, rest in peace, Prince. These guys from start, from the moment they were popped out of the womb. They were on it and they stayed on it. And the difference is that they, the people around them believed in them enough to support them. That's a huge thing too. That's, that's huge. You, you can be the greatest artist. You can be painter, sculptor, pianist, drummer, singer. It's not about the fans. The fans actually come, you know, after you've done all the work of your work, but it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the beforehand, the, it's all the pre stuff, you know, family, real support from the family, real support from your close friends, people that know you, people you want, you want people that know you to uplift you, you know, even if they don't hear you stuff or not bumping your music you know, like they're bumping everybody else's music. You just want to know, hey, have you even listened? Have you even heard my stuff? I know somebody that I've been been knowing for over 20 years. Now, they'll call me and say, oh, you know, and they'll say in front of other people, oh, I've been knowing this person for 20 years. You know, this person has never listened to one of my songs, maybe one, 20 years ago. <laughs> but had they listened to anything yet? No, they say, oh, what you doing? Oh, are you working on your music? Yeah, I'm working on my music. Yeah, you know, you, you have a marketing firm. If you helped me uh, promote my music, hey, where would I be now? You know, where could I have been? Whatever. I, I'm not bitter. Uh, people act like they are who they are. And they'll show you who they are from the moment you meet them. So on that note, thank you, Michael, for inspiring uh, who I am. And that song um, that I was playing, it's called Wrong. If you couldn't hear it, man, I was, that song was so fun. It, it was actually, um, it was a studio version that had this Indian, let me see if I can find it. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll play that version. Because um, the original version, that's the rock version. The rock version is the version that I created with my boy Chris. Um plays a bass and guitar um he came over i think i went over his place or he came over mine or i was staying somewhere anyway um we knocked it out 
you know, I brought my equipment over, he plugged in his guitar and we, we, we knocked it out. So what you hear is from a, I think we knocked that out in one session. Um, but here's the, here's the other version. Here's the original version that was created, um, with, uh, Genesee Lewis and myself for the Intelligent Human Voice Podcast Network. I hope you, uh, Enjoy your life. Enjoy the song too. You can follow me on um, Number One Music or Anchor FM. All right. I got one in the front, two in the back, three on the way, four in the back, five to the days in, and they all say it. I got one in the legs, two in the bins, three in the people with four other friends, five at the holiday in, and they say again. Play the uh, play the uh, rock version of that too. All right. That's not the rock version. That's not the rock version. Either. Oh, I can't find the rock version. What the hell? All right, I'm out of here. This is the Intelligent Human Voice Podcast Network. She's a product of the ghetto, ghetto. Uh, I'm not playing that. One. Yeah, I'll play that one later. All right, for the Intelligent Human Voice Podcast Network, I'm your host, Mr. Anderson. From the Bay to LA and beyond, into the music, all up in the music. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next podcast. Maybe later this evening. Who knows? Who knows? She's a butterfly.